Well, hello there. It is great to see you again. Welcome back to Optimizing Your Financial World. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. And as always, we've got Mr. Mark Wade, president over at Echelon Family Office. He's going to be jumping aboard. We're going to be diving into another wealth management discussion. That's what we do here on the show. And if you've joined us recently here in season two, you know that Mark and I, we, we had a conversation surrounding the idea of asset protection and the different strategies that exist out there for business owners. But in today's conversation, we're going to be taking a different avenue down the asset protection lane, if you will. Specifically, we're going to be talking about safeguarding assets from an ex-spouse. So before we bring Mark on, I want to kind of frame up the conversation in the way that, look at it, like divorce rates in the U.S., they have generally been falling for some time, and that's some great news. But the fact remains is that still many marriages out there just don't work out. And so today, Mark and I are going to be examining some different ideas and options that exist for protecting financial assets and wealth overall in the event a marriage, I mean, maybe it's yours or maybe it's someone that's close to you, uh, you know, ends in a divorce. So we're going to be talking about these different strategies that exist and, you know, we're going to be tapping into Mark's experience on the matter. Uh, so with that being said, let's go ahead and bring Mark out and get into it. Mark, it's good to see you today. How you doing? Hey, Ryan, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Mark can't complain. Always good time when we get together. Uh, you know, Mark, we're talking about safeguarding assets from an ex-spouse. It's a topic that's pretty uncomfortable, but I know it's it's one that you know you've you've walked this talk. You know, you've t had these conversations with clients before, correct? Unfortunately, all too often, much, many more times than we than we than we really care to. We get involved with uh, clients who are who are going through a divorce, and uh, you know, one thing I want to say right up front, Ryan, is that uh, you know. While we work with some of the finest attorneys across the country in various different fields, obviously matrimonial being one of them, I am not an attorney, so I am not giving legal advice here today. I'm merely hoping that some of this might be educational in nature based upon my 40 years of experience of having dealt with families in this area. So this is just educational in nature today. Fantastic. Well, Mark, I mean, let's let's frame up our conversation as we typically do kind of on a high level to get things started. You know, the topic of divorce, it's uncomfortable, right? For an obvious reason, no one wants to envision the end of a marriage, whether it's your own or if it's someone else that you might know. But it is an outcome that couples should be factoring into their wealth planning, correct? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because let's face it, you know, uh, marriage is one of life's biggest milestones, right? And uh, unfortunately, divorce can also be a, a, a big milestone too, uh, in a negative manner. But you know, it's probably short-sighted to completely ignore the possibility of divorce when you're thinking about your wealth and assets. Uh, you know, and and by the way, you know that that applies not just to couples getting married, but also to the parents and grandparents of those couples, because the intergener intergenerational transfer of wealth can be negatively affected if you don't plan for the event of divorce in advance. Mm -hmm. Well, Mark, what about, <clears throat> excuse me, what about this school of thought here, Mark? And that is the idea of that planning for a divorce in the first place, you know, with separation in mind going into it will only increase the probability of the divorce even happening. What, what do you say to that school of, uh, school of thought? Well, you know, let's look at the elephant in the room. You know, conversations about divorce and money uh, oftentimes are really emotionally charged to start with. And and some people even say that, you know, these conversations foster suspicion or distrust when they're going into a marriage. And, you know, sometimes they claim it makes the chance of divorce more likely. I, I don't necessarily believe that. But, you know, others are going to say that, 
you know, going through a conversation about, you know, uh, the divorce or, or a potential issue prior to marriage, or at least dealing with the facts surrounding, uh, you know, these, these type of conversations, you know, they believe that it can help create clarity, you know, and then ensures that everybody understands the rules, you know, of who's going to get what, you know, of specific assets, uh, you know, in the event something negative happens, you know, which in turn helps the divorce process to go much more smoothly. So you know, it's probably more likely that addressing and resolving some of these financial matters going into a marriage can head off the chances that a, a, a divorce, again, never a pleasant experience, but can become, you know, a nasty dog fight and way more terrible than it, than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's, let's get into the meat of the conversation, Mark. What would you say are some asset protection strategies that exist out there? You know, maybe for somebody to consider if let's say their, their son or daughter might be heading down the aisle sometime soon. Well, you know, a good place to start is always, you know, to get a, a basic understanding of how premarital assets, you know, which are assets that you acquire or that you bring into a marriage and you acquire prior to getting married, you know, how those are viewed versus postmarital assets, you know, that are created or enhanced after a wedding or you receive after a wedding. And and in general, you know, this the property that you bring into a marriage, let's say an inheritance from a family member, typically remains yours. And likewise, you know, an inheritance that you receive during a marriage also is generally treated as your own property, which means separate from your spouse's. So that means that in both of these cases, it's unlikely that a court's going to demand that those assets be divided between you and your ex-spouse, uh, you know, as a result of a divorce. And, and Ryan, other separate premarital property, you know, often includes other properties that you bring into the marriage, gifts from, you know, gifts to one spouse from any source and uh, awards that you might receive in a lawsuit. So in contrast, marital property, as the term suggests, is mostly the personal property and real estate you acquire while you're married, including, you know, income you can earn from your job. Roger that, Mark. All right. So, so do those distinctions, Mark, and, and really rules around them, do they depend on what state you live in? Like, is that a factor people should be considering here? Yeah, so important that you brought that up, Ryan, because yes, absolutely. You know, for example, laws in some states are going to include a person's personal property with the couple's marital property and consider all of it eligible to be divided up in a divorce. So yeah, you know, the rule of thumb about marital versus non-marital assets is just that. It's a rule of thumb, you know, so in the event that you're thinking about these issues, it's best to consult with an expert who has the knowledge about what is and isn't allowed in your specific state or geographical area. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and this is a complex process, Mark, which is why, you know, you have a team of, of legal professionals around you guys when you're going through these conversations with clients. So that being said, Mark, are, are there any important rules and concepts around marital assets that maybe people don't fully understand and they should be getting up to speed on today? Hey, Ryan, you know, I don't know that individuals really need to trick themselves into thinking that they've become an expert on this subject just because they read a book or two. Uh, but there are probably some important ideas that are good to know, concepts that they can pick up. And one of them is this concept of transmutation risk. Okay, that's when a non-marital asset becomes a marital asset in the eyes of the courts because some certain circumstance occurred, right? And for example, here, let's say that uh, you and your spouse each have a separate bank account from before you were married. So these accounts are still considered to be non-marital assets unless 
for example, one spouse contributes money to the other spouse's account after you're married. At that point, though, you know, that account becomes commingled with both of your assets, and the court can consider that to be a marital asset that can be divided up, you know, during a divorce between the ex-spouses. So there's also this other concept of active versus passive assets. So assets that increase in value because you or your spouse took some sort of action with that asset is considered to be an active asset. So one example is your spouse spent some of his or her money to improve the home you live in. It's kind of common. It happens all the time. Okay. So, and let's say that home was yours prior to the marriage. In that case, the house could become a marital asset, you know, and it, because your spouse contributed money to the house. Uh, in contrast, passive assets are those assets that increase in value because of developments that are out of your control. You took no specific ask, uh, no specific action for it to increase in value. Uh, for example, let's say there's a strong real estate market in your area and the value of your home increases dramatically. Okay, or if a bull market in the bull market, you know, boosts the value of your stock portfolio. Okay, those are considered passive assets. And passive assets are typically separate and usually stay that way during a divorce. Roger that, Mark. I mean, big theme here today is is safeguarding assets from an ex-spouse. So given all of what you just shared with us, would you say there are, are essentially ways that somebody could build a moat, you know, a proverbial moat, if you will, to better separate their <clears throat> assets and ensure that they stay separate over time and remain in your wallet if a divorce was on the horizon? Well, yes, there are. Okay. And the one that most people have probably heard of is this concept of a prenuptial agreement. That's the one that comes to mind first. Okay. And it's formally, basically, it, it just formally specifies which property will remain yours in the event you get divorced. And speaking very generally here, it's not legal advice. It makes sense to consider a prenuptial agreement in a variety of different uh, you know, situations. For example, let's say you have children from a previous marriage. A prenup can spell out, you know, what your expectations are for your children from that past marriage and now how they'll be provided for financially from your estate. You know, this can help prevent an ex-spouse from claiming assets that you want, you know, that you would, you know, you would prefer to have the, some of those assets, you know, to go to your children. Or say you have significantly more wealth than your spouse to be. Uh, if a significant financial imbalance exists between the two of you, a prenup can lay out in detail which assets are going to remain uh, in your in your estate in the in the event of a divorce uh, and or perhaps you expect to receive inheritance down the road a prenup can ensure that those assets you receive from your family while you're married would also remain yours post a divorce um, but there is one often overlooked reason to consider a prenup you know if you're owner or part owner of a family business as many of our clients are as you know uh, a prenup can help secure your interests in the family business, uh, you know, those assets that you bring into the marriage, as well as ownership interests that you may gain during the marriage. Without, without this, this prenup, you know, you may have to hand over some of the ownership uh, to an ex-spouse and, you know, your family members who are still working in a company might find themselves, and I see it all too often, becoming unwilling partners, you know, with your ex-spouse, and I'm sure they'd much rather not do that. 
Sure, sure. So, I mean, the prenup, obviously a very, very popular strategy that many of us, you know, know, just generally speaking with regard to, you know, some sort of protection strategy outside, you know, when when we're dealing with a divorce here. But Mark, any other tools or strategies that might go maybe even a step further than a prenup could offer? Yeah, absolutely. Again, just from an educational nature, it's not, this is not divorce advice. Okay. But uh, yeah, you know, the prenup is, is sometimes not bulletproof, right? Uh, and, you know, they can be contested in court and sometimes they're overturned. So, you know, some divorce experts point people towards other trusts. Okay. And, uh, you know, sometimes these trusts offer asset protection that the prenup can't afford. And, you know, one type of trust that I'm thinking about uh, in this area is called the domestic, domestic asset protection trust. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Or a DAPT. Uh, you know, these type of trusts can shield you know, assets from both creditors and ex-spouses. So a domestic asset trust, you know, it's it's kind of like most uh, irrevocable trusts. Once they once you have put assets into it, you just can't simply take them back or even change the trust uh, in, in general. You know, this puts the assets outside of most claims and excludes those assets from the category of marital property. However, there are some other benefits, you know, unlike the typical irrevocable trust, you know, you can name yourself as a discretionary beneficiary of a domestic asset protection trust, which then gives you some controls. Uh, not all, not all states allow these kind of trusts and the rules govern them where they are allowed, you know, those rules are going to vary state by state. So, you know, it's imperative to create and fund this domestic asset trust, if you're thinking about it, you need to do it before you get married or, you know, because then it's going to be much more uh, effectively able to protect those assets. So there's a lot of things to navigate here. There's a lot in the swamp. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this that's a complex one, but I see the value there, Mark. But l let's flip the script here. Any other strategies that maybe are a little less complex, you know, than the DAPT that you mentioned uh, that might just be easier in general to implement for, for couples? Well, you know, <clears throat> we did talk about, uh, you know, separate assets and how it how it's easily for how easily for them to become, uh, you know, easily commingled, you know, with a little more than, let's say, a few online transfers between bank accounts. So if you want to avoid turning a separate asset into a marital, marital asset, uh, think about taking some steps such as the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, putting your money in its own separate bucket. And what I mean by that is don't merge inherited money into an account that includes your spouse's funds. Likewise, if you have your own premarital savings account, you risk turning it into a marital property if you deposit your spouse's money into that account. So no, that's one thing. And the other thing is, you know, titling, right? Uh, you know, if you own a vacation home or some other kind of valuable asset that, you know, you acquired before you got married or even remarried, you know, keep the deed in your name. Don't add your spouse to it. You know, if you're concerned about protecting that property for the future, leave it separately titled in your own name. You know, that said, keeping homes separate can become tricky. You know, so, for example, if you spend time on on your, you know, if you spend time on a property that you inherited separately, uh, uh, you know, that benefits both you and your spouse, the house could be viewed as a marital property in a divorce. You know, so 
remember, there's a lot to digest and there's a lot going on here in this separate area of, of planning and law. So it's best, you know, consult a trusted attorney if you're unsure about, you know, how a financial moves going to impact the status of a property. And, and I, I guess in closing, you know, let, let's face it. Marriage and money are really sensitive issues, each on their own. And that goes doubly when, when you have to combine them, right? So, you know, this is an area that really has potentially an enormous impact on your family's wealth now and in the future. And it's really best to not ignore it. It's best to plan for it in advance. Get out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Mark, you know, for those out there in our audience that maybe this, this conversation is resonating with them, let's say maybe they themselves, or maybe they have a, a son or daughter that's going to be walking down the aisle sometime soon. And, and they're thinking about how this applies to their world. And maybe they're interested in just reached out to you and your team just to start a conversation, you know, just, just to open up a dialogue as to how and when, or, or why really some of these strategies might pertain to them. Mark, what would be the best way they could reach out to you and your team to, like I said, Said, just just open up a dialogue yeah absolutely and thanks ryan you know obviously one thing they could do is they could visit us online at www echelon office that's e-c-h-e-l-o-n office.com they could contact me directly at m wade that's m-w-a-d-e at echelon wealth e-c-h-e-l-o-n the word wealth.com or or they could call into our office they could call us at 888 8929882 and uh, we'll be sure we'll be sure to uh tell them Fantastic. Well, Mark, look, I appreciate you carving some time out of your day to talk about this, you know, touchy subject, but it is an important one given, you know, such a massive, massive decision in your life to get married. You know, I appreciate you carving some time out to be with us and uh looking forward to being back with you on the next one. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. This was a great topic today. I look forward to the next one. All righty. Fantastic, Mark. Well, look, uh, we also want to take one final moment and thank you guys, right? And that's our audience. We appreciate you for stopping by and spending some time with us on the show today. If you took anything away from today's discussion, you benefited from it in any way, shape, or form, do us a favor and subscribe to the show on whichever platform you check us out on today. That way you never miss a future episode. You know, we're, we're tapping into Mark's nearly four decades worth of experience on this show. We've got a lot of wealth management topics that we're going to be considering in episodes to come, and we would hate to have you miss out on any of that beneficial information for you and yours. So for Mark, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you guys stopping by and being with us on today's episode of Optimizing Your Financial World. <laughs>